Then Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Go ahead and be seated. So, judgment, not, uh, not everybody's favorite subject, but Jesus actually spoke on it often and uh, from different perspectives and angles. And uh, he does so in a very interesting way in this text. And uh, so we do want to talk about it. You know, judgment is the, the one great event that um, separates, the, uh, we might say, the two great eras. Uh, this current era will be brought to an end by the judgment, and the eternal state will be introduced by it. And uh, it's there, it, it's, it's going to happen, and it's good for us to think about it. Um, nobody actually talked about it more than Jesus, and so he was definitely trying to prepare people for it, and uh, we should be living for the judgment. So let's, let's look at this whole thing. Begins in kind of an introductory statement here. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, in the last section leading up to this, he, he pointed his, the, the, the disciples of John the Baptist to what the Old Testament prophets said that Messiah would do when he came. Really, to demonstrate to John that Jesus was indeed Messiah and that he shouldn't look for another. He said the Messiah... Uh, he says, tell John that these things are happening, okay? that the, the sight is coming back to the, the blind, the lame are walking, um, he's cleansing lepers, the, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised, and the gospel is being preached to the poor. And then he turns to this audience who has kind of been listening in all this, on all the, the discussion with the disciples of John, and he rebukes them for being like, children who are perpetually critical and can never be satisfied with anything. And then he turns, he gives his attention to these uh, three northern cities in the, the region of the Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And he rebukes them for not repenting, uh, even after they witnessed most of the mighty miracles that he did judgment and repentance. Now remember, biblical repentance uh, means to change the mind, means to change the mind. It, it does not mean to be sorry. It doesn't mean to be sorry or to be sorry again, as the word literally means in the English, um, nor does it mean to confess wrongs that have been done. That is not repentance. Theologically, it means to have a change of heart toward God or the truth, and then when, you, when someone has a true change of heart through faith, uh, there's a change in one's life and their conduct. Jesus came to draw the hearts of the people to himself that they might be saved. And the way that he did that was by teaching and doing these mighty miracles. But the nature of the miracles were 
miracles of compassion, weren't they? I mean, when you heal people, uh, that's compassion. And the rebuke is warranted because Jesus, especially for these northern cities, he, he brought everything together for them. You know, prophecy, uh, for one, was unfolding every day in the life of Jesus right before their eyes, and yet they would not turn their hearts toward him in faith. And their unbelief, and of course, stunted their repentance, and their hearts were hardened. And we'll see the, the hardness increase uh, throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, rather than them softening and turning to him in faith. And, and because of what follows in this opening statement, we, we need to keep in mind the true nature of unbelief and unrepentance. Uh, you know, unbelief is not an, an innocent thing. Uh, under the circumstances, unbelief here is wicked. It's, it's evil. Unrepentance is not indecision. Uh, it's rebellion. Uh, the issue of faith and repentance, these are moral issues. They're theological ones. There's, there's no such thing as neutral ground when it comes to unrepentance, unbelief. There's just the, the myth of neutrality. So Jesus is rebuking these cities because of their sin. It's the sin of unbelief. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, unbelief considers God unworthy of trust. It's insulting, isn't it? The, the one person who is most worthy of trust, of adoration, of devotion is God. And so unbelief says that he's not. He's not worthy of any of those, those things. And it is a greater sin to reject his son who gave his life to redeem us from the penalty of our, our sin. So let's keep those things in mind uh, as we go through this. Let's look at Jesus' rebuke. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. And listen to the language here. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If. That's a very interesting way to put that. So Chorazin, Bethsaida, uh, cities in northern Israel near the Galilee. This is uh, where Jesus spent much of his ministry. Uh, some of the greatest miracles that he ever performed were done up there, and they did not respond in faith. They did not respond in faith. Uh, they would not repent. And Jesus says that if those same miracles had been done in these pagan cities, the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon, the cities, the coastal cities in the north, he says they wouldn't have just repented, but they would have done it with these, these you know, extreme expressions of sorrow, putting on their bodies sackcloth. How many of you guys have wore sackcloth? You've never felt that bad for your sin? <laughs> and then throw ashes on your head. This statement, and then again, it's made again in verse 23. It's, it's very interesting. Jesus is, uh, and you're going to have to listen carefully. Jesus is demonstrating a, a form of omniscience known as middle knowledge. How I many of you guys have heard of all of my ETS guys? You better raise your hand. Uh, middle knowledge. It's based upon contingent counterfactual knowledge. Let me explain. Uh, we, as evangelicals, we believe that God knows everything, right? He's omniscient. He doesn't just know all that has happened, all that is happening, and all that will happen. He knows all that would happen, and all that would have happened if a different set of circumstances were introduced into a specific situation. That's middle knowledge. It's contingent, counterfactual knowledge about what would happen 
or what would have happened if circumstances were different. It's counterfactual because those circumstances were never introduced. Okay, it never happened. Jesus never performed mighty miracles in Tyre and Sidon. You get it? It's contingent because if he had performed those miracles, a different result would have occurred. They would have repented. And, and God knows all of this. That's different than just knowing what has happened in the past, what is happening now, and what will happen in the future. This is knowing what would or would have happened if God had changed the circumstances in a situation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Notice something about it, that God would not have made those people repent by adding those circumstances. He just knows that under those circumstances, those people would have repented. Fascinating, huh? It's important, trust me. We'll come back to it. The problem here in the, the actual historical context is this. Given the most ideal circumstances, the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida did not repent. Given the most ideal set of circumstances, they did not repent. And God knew that there were no other circumstances that could have brought them to repentance. And that's why they're so worthy of his rebuke and his condemnation. There is nothing more that Jesus could do for these people to bring them to repentance. God gave them his best. He gave them his son, but they gave him their worst. They gave him unbelief. They were hard-hearted. They were obstinate. I think we should be encouraged by this. Have you noticed that when you share the gospel with people that some of them do not respond, they do not repent? Well, God the Father gave Chorazin and Bethsaida the best preacher of the gospel with miracles, great miracles of compassion. And what happened? Yeah. It is not your fault when people reject or do not believe in the gospel. You give them all you got, and if they do not respond, it will forever be on them. Okay? We should be faithful to preach, but we're not responsible for what they do with the preaching. Amen? Yeah, just like Jesus is not going to be blamed for the unrepentance of Chorazin and Bethsaida. Amen? So Jesus says, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. So Chorazin and Bethsaida will face harsher condemnation than the pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon for two reasons. Because of what Tyre and Sidon would have done if Christ worked miracles among them and because of the knowledge that the people of Israel possessed. The people of Israel proved just how obstinate they really were by their unrepentance, even under the most ideal circumstances. The circumstances that would have brought Tyre and Sidon to repentance if they were exposed to Jesus. And the people of Israel were deserving of greater condemnation because they had the prophetic scriptures to inform them about Messiah, right? How many of you guys were here on uh, Christmas Eve? There's a lot in the scriptures pointing to Christ who he would be, how he would be conceived, where he would be born, what he would do, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, and on and on and on. They had over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament to lead them directly to Jesus, and yet they rejected him. So they were held accountable for the knowledge that God gave them. So really, what excuse could they possibly give for themselves on judgment day after so much grace was shown? What excuse could they give? Just none. So God didn't simply give them clues as to the identity of Messiah. He gave them Messiah as he was fulfilling 
prophecy and performing miracles. They did not miss their Messiah. They rejected him. You see the difference? So we don't want to soften what Jesus clearly condemns. Uh, We'll come back to the implications of Jesus' conclusion here later. He says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So Chorazin and Bethsaida, these were cities of great privilege, simply because of the amount of time that Jesus spent there. But they were not as privileged as Capernaum. Capernaum was the actual headquarters of Jesus' ministry. He spent more time in Capernaum than any place else. And that's why he says they they were essentially exalted to heaven. No, No city, no people in Israel witnessed as much as those in Capernaum. No city was more blessed, and therefore no city would be held to the same accountability as Capernaum. He says they would be brought low to Hades because of unrepentance. Now, in the passage here, Hades is stated uh, basically as the opposite of heaven. Therefore, it's, it's that temporary place where the spirits of the wicked dead are incarcerated until the final judgment. Okay? Uh, often t- I think it's the King James that translates Hades as hell. Uh, and we, we often think that hell is the final resting place uh, for the wicked. It is not. Okay? Hell is a temporary holding tank for the the wicked, unbelieving people. Uh, Revelation says that on the day of judgment, that hell will be emptied, and then all the dead in it will be judged, and then from there they'll go into a place called Gehenna, which is an eternal place of torment for the wicked. Understand? Did you guys sleep last night? I got to bed about 1.30, so if I'm not looking too lively, (laughs) and that's probably why John isn't here. My son was at his house, and then I had to wait up for him to get home. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus' condemnation of Capernaum, it's entirely appropriate. It's consistent with justice. So in this verse, again, we have, we have that same middle knowledge that we saw in verse 21, but this time it applies to the city of Sodom. You guys know the story of Sodom, right? Before God destroyed Sodom, uh, we know that it was located at the southern tip of the Dead Sea, The city was known for its aggressive, even militant sexual deviance and its inhospitable conduct to strangers. It was certainly idolatrous like the the other surrounding cities, but it was more deeply depraved. Its existence became so grievous that God could no longer tolerate it. And so, by an act of his mercy and his justice, he destroyed the city sparing only Lot and his two daughters. Remember, his wife didn't make it all the way either because she, she turned back in longing to the city, so she was judged with it. But Jesus says that if the same mighty works done in Capernaum were done in Sodom, he says it would remain to this day. This is interesting. It would remain to this day. Now, without going into the many implications of that statement, simply because I... Well, I lack the intellect to do so. Uh, This is more significant than saying Tyre and Sidon would have repented. The the destruction of Sodom occurred 2,000 years before Jesus was born. And Jesus says that they would have remained as a city until this day if he had ministered among them. This This is an even more amazing demonstration of middle knowledge. Because Jesus is saying that 
He knows all that would have unraveled from 2000 BC until the present time that would have sustained Sodom as a city if they repented. Even through all of the wars and empires that swept through the region, including plagues and famines. Are you thinking about that a little bit? Jesus said if they would just have, if, if they would have repented, they would have endured through time and remain to this day. That is absolutely mind-boggling that Jesus could know and did know that they would have survived if. You know, this is a subtle, but it's an explicit declaration of his deity. It's easy to overlook, but that's what it is. Jesus had middle knowledge because he possessed all knowledge. He's omniscient. There's more. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So again, like verse 22, Jesus here asserts his foreknowledge regarding the future judgment of Capernaum and Sodom. So consider the bigger picture here of Jesus's knowledge. Jesus knew what would have happened 2,000 years in the past if he had worked miracles in Sodom. He knew that they would have existed in the present, and he knows what will happen in the future on the day of judgment for Capernaum and Sodom. Jesus possesses flawless knowledge of the past, of the present, of the future, and all contingent counterfactual knowledge of what would happen and what would have happened if different circumstances were introduced into any situation. This is a clear declaration of his deity. You could say, well, if I was there, things would be different. But Jesus knows exactly how different things would have been. Jesus is omniscient. He is Lord God. And yet Capernaum, who witnessed so many great miracles and the fulfillment of so much prophecy, rejected him. Their condemnation is just, is just. There's more here that I want to look at in these passages. As we look at Jesus's ministry, his preaching of the gospel, the kingdom, performing signs and wonders, fulfilling prophecy, mingled in to all of this is this command from him for the people to repent and be baptized. But in spite of all this, those who should have believed and repented, they did not. The people of Israel who had the scriptures and all of the prophecies contained in them, they should have been ready. They should have been waiting for Messiah, but instead they were critical. They were unbelieving as the previous section demonstrated. Now, I guess it should be said that uh, we should employ a little bit of critical thinking when it comes to, re- to religious and moral issues, especially when it involves someone who claims to be someone. Amen? But after Jesus fulfilled prophecy after prophecy, performed miracle after miracle, the people should have responded with faith and repentance. Critical thinking should have led them to that. But they failed, and now they're getting rebuked. They did not repent. And Jesus says a stricter judgment awaits them because of this. There's a few things else that I want to, that I think are worth noting here. Because Jesus said it, we know that judgment is coming. And I think that all of our conscience, our consciences bear witness to that. Amen? Also, because Jesus said it, we know that there are different degrees of judgment. I know that that's uh, controversial in some circles. And third, repentance is necessary. In verse 22 and 24, Jesus mentioned the day of judgment, so there is a day, right? There is a day. In Acts 17.31, Paul said that God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world according to what is right, according to 
justice. On that day, there will not be uh, a sliding scale, uh, a, a curve, right? Uh, everyone will be judged by the standard of divine justice. Paul also said that unrepentant people are treasuring up for themselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That's Romans 2.5. So he's saying the sins of man are piling up against them. A record is being kept, and on the day of judgment, God will call every sin to account so that justice may be served. So God will judge our deepest secrets, Romans 2.16 says, and even the motives of our heart, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. That's disturbing, isn't it? Remember, he's omniscient. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Nothing will be left undone on the day of judgment. Everything will be laid bare before God's omniscience. He knows all, he sees all, and will bring everything into judgment. Every careless word, every ill thought, every false motive, and every deed will be as obvious to him as anything can be obvious. Just laid bare. And that day draws nearer and nearer every day because the date has been set. It's a decree of God. It, it cannot be canceled. It cannot be delayed or altered any way. No one can escape. No one can be tardy. No one will be excused and no one will be overlooked. As I said at the beginning, uh, many godly people have said throughout the ages that this is the day that we live for, whether intentionally or inadvertently. Everybody's living for it, but we should be intentional about it. It awaits us. Are you ready for it? Are you getting ready for it? Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, they, they were not. They were not. And the day that they perished, they sealed their fate before the judgment bar of God. So the, the judgment of God is upon us and, and will stand before the judge of all the earth. From Jesus' words, we can also know that there are different degrees of judgment. Because God is just, he will judge everyone according to what is appropriate to their sins. Yeah. I think we know this intuitively. We expect it in all levels of society. We know that murderers and rapists should be punished more harshly than jaywalkers, right? Please, please, okay, because I jaywalk from time to time. <laughs> and we know that someone who knew better should be punished more harshly than someone who did not know better, like one child who was told not to eat the cookies on the counter and did anyway versus the child who was not told and simply ate a cookie without asking, right? The first child flatly disobeyed while the other child acted presumptuously. So the first child should receive stricter discipline. Well, in our context here in Matthew, we have two different categories of sinners. We have the people of Chorazin and Capernaum, Israelites to whom the word of God was revealed in the scriptures. They had his covenant. They had the moral law of God. They had the prophets. And to top it off, they were witnesses of the Messiah and all of his great miracles. On the other hand, we have Tyre and Sidon and the city of Sodom. God did not reveal himself to these people by way of scripture. And Messiah did not come to them and preach and perform miracles. 
Now, of course, they, as Paul argues in Romans chapter one and two, they had the creation around them to testify to God's existence. And they had a moral conscience because they were created in the image of God by which they understood the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And they understood that good and right is better than evil. They, ought, they knew that they ought to perform what is good rather than evil. But because they were less informed than the people of Israel, they would receive a softer judgment, okay? Eternal, but more tolerable. The Israelites, though, because of all they knew and all they saw with their own eyes, they will be judged more harshly. Because God is just, everyone will be judged according to what is right, what is appropriate to the person and their sins. We've all heard people say that uh, sin is sin. Have you heard that before? Sin is sin. In one sense, it's true, but if, that's, if, if by that statement they mean that all sin receives the same degree of punishment, they're biblically misinformed, okay? Jesus said this, the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given... From him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more, Luke 12, 47 through 48. So Israel is like the servant who knew his master's will, but did not do it, and therefore received the appropriate punishment. Tyre and Sudan and Sodom did not know the master's will, though they did things worthy of judgment, and therefore they will receive a less harsh judgment. Jesus told the Pharisees, I like it when he talks to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Greater condemnation. Everyone will be judged rightly as opposed to equally. All right? The amount of time will be the same for all, but the degree of condemnation will vary according to their sin. People are accountable to the knowledge given them. More knowledge, more accountability less knowledge, less accountability. As Peter says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Tough passages, huh? Yeah. This passage is talking about someone who had a false conversion they left the world and its moral corruption because of the gospel of Christ, but then after a time, they entangled themselves again with the world to where they were just overcome by it. That is, they never turned to Christ fully, but were ultimately in the end committed to the world. It is this person whose latter end is worse than the former because they had the knowledge of Christ and the gospel, and they turned from it. It is their knowledge that makes them more accountable. Before they had any knowledge of Christ, they were entangled in the world with a great deal of ignorance, but after they acquired the knowledge of Christ and his ways, they became accountable to that knowledge. Okay? The greater sin is to know the holy commandment, to have heard the gospel, to have witnessed and even experienced some of the benefits of Christ in his community, and then to turn from it. Okay? And of course, this is applicable to those who have you know, been raised with the knowledge of Scripture or have been discipled in the faith. 
when whether you were raised in the faith or trained in the scriptures, you're accountable for all that you know. Paul said, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now, now the context of this statement deals with the difference between the Gentiles who, who did not have the law of God and the Jews who did. Because the Gentiles did not have the revelation of God's law, they, they would not be held accountable to what's recorded in it. But because the Jews who did have the law, they would be judged by what's written in the law. But even more so, to possess the knowledge of Christ and rebel against it. That's the more dangerous sin. And it will incur the harshest condemnation. You see, to love God above all else is the greatest good. That's the greatest good. But the greatest evil is to reject God and rebel against him. So two things so far. Judgment day is coming, and there's going to be different degrees of judgment, which ensures that judgment is just. There's at least one other thing that we can know from the passage. Repentance is necessary to be spared from wrath on the day of judgment. We all go in, okay? Every one of us will stand before the judgment bar of God. Amen? Everybody's going. But some will be spared from wrath on that day. Some. Jesus condemned the unrepentant. So repentance is necessary to escape condemnation. Again, Paul said this to his pagan audience. He says, truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked the ignorance because they didn't have the word of God. Okay? But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness, Acts 17, 30, and 31. So Paul presents repentance as the commandment of God for all men. Remember, we said repentance is a moral issue. God commands it. Man must repent. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3 and verse 5. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So repentance is necessary if anybody is to escape the condemnation of death. But everyone who repents toward God by trusting in Christ will escape the condemnation of God's judgment and they'll actually be the recipient of his grace. So Christ, of course, came to turn people to himself that he might deliver them from death. He came to endure the condemnation that we deserve by taking upon himself the guilt of our sin. On Calvary's cross, he received the wrath, of, the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins so that through repentance and faith, we could receive his righteousness and the gift of God that he deserved. Everybody's gonna be judged, okay? But only those who trust in Christ will escape wrath. Paul says that Jesus came to deliver us from the wrath which is to come. And he did it by taking wrath upon himself. Jesus said this. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So because of sin, unrepentant humanity is currently under condemnation. They're currently the object of God's righteous wrath. And for that reason, it, it, it made no sense for God to send his son into the world to condemn the people in it. So Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save, literally 
to rescue those who would repent and turn to him in faith. There's no other way to be saved, but by the gift of God that's in Christ Jesus. And, and on the day of judgment, there will be no debating the issue. Amen? It's done. It's done. So judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. Judgment will be delivered by degrees appropriate to the sins of the individual. And repentance is necessary to be rescued from the condemnation of God's judgment. Therefore, as God has commanded, repent and put your trust in Jesus and you will be rescued from Go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. Things lighten up later in the text. Yeah, let's, let's end on worship. Father, we love you. And uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you spoke truth to us, to everyone, that you didn't hide reality from us. And you've called us to not be those that would bury our head in the sand, but to face reality, to be thinking people. And Lord, you've, you've, you've called our attention to judgment, not to, to scare us, maybe a little, but you, you've informed us so that we would take you seriously, we would take this life seriously, and that we would use it in preparation for that day that we would stand before you. And the, the, the beauty in all of this, Lord, is that you've made preparations for us. You placed your son on the cross on our behalf and in our place, that we might be rescued from the condemnation of death and stand there in your favor, spotless before you. So Lord, help us as your people to be preparing for that day. And Lord, I pray for anybody that might be in, in this room this morning or listening through the live stream, that Lord, that the reality of judgment would fall upon them and that they would see the necessity of repentance and they would trust in you. Save them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.